hey, grab a seat real super quick, everybody, real quick. And um, uh, what I'd like to do right now is um, I'd like to, uh, hey, Kevin, <laughs> I'd like to um, uh, pray for all my brothers and sisters in Haiti and in Jamaica. Um, and I don't know any in Cuba, but maybe you do. But um, again, um, if, if you've been following Matthew, uh, the storm, uh, please don't stop following um, because we are in the cone again. I'm not trying to scare it. I'm just saying once Matthew gets above Cuba, Matthew's going to still be a very powerful storm, unlike one that we've seen in a long, long time. It's going to be a major hurricane. Even if it's 200 miles out next week right over here, it's still going to be very powerful. And, uh, and bottom line is if the newscaster tonight says, oh, we're so grateful that the models don't have us in the cone anymore. No, that they're not very good at this until 72 hours out. So I feel led as your pastor to really tell you, not freak out, God's in control and God's going to do what he wants in all this. And it's an amazing thing. And whether it comes and, you know, whether it blows this place down and, and this is the last time we worship together in this facility. That's not what I'm wishing for. I know Penny's on the board saying, no, Lord, but it's not up to us. It's up to God whether this is the last time we're together as a family in this building or we're worshiping out on the beach while everybody's rebuilding. Or if it's hundreds of miles offshore heading and we're like next week going, thank you, Jesus. No matter what it is, we should be thanking Jesus for this. But the real fact is what we do know right now is that it's a powerful storm. There's not much to disrupt it. And it is going to skirt between Jamaica and the western tip of Haiti, which down there is Port-au-Prince, which is where probably 90% of the country all live in poverty. And, and it's going to go through the eastern tip of Cuba almost rather un, unscathed as it just scoots through that little strait right there. And so there is going to be devastation, man. There's going to be mudslides. There's going to be loss of life. There's going to be, but none of this is a surprise to God. And so I want you to be praying. And our natural prayers right off the bat would be, dear God, make this miss everything and nobody get hurt and everybody be okay. That's how we want to pray. But the fact is, is that, man, I've seen in every single hurricane, in fact, the ones we had in 2004, man, that's the tightest my neighborhood's ever been. That's, I saw people come to Christ through those hurricanes. Sometimes it takes devastation. And besides, if you're a believer, if you know you're going to heaven when you die and you die in a mudslide, where are you? So would you rather die in a mudslide and be in heaven instantly or would you rather stick it out through all of this and rebuild? I'm just saying, you know, if you're like, no, dude, I want to stick it out and rebuild. I got to get, you know, man, I'm just telling you, nothing's going to happen to you unless it is by God's design. You ain't going nowhere. No army's going to take you out. No hurricane's going to take you out unless it's God's plan. And no army's going to be able to protect you, you know, if it is your time to go. So I want you praying that everybody in Haiti and in Jamaica and in Cuba, which we know are going to be affected, we don't know where it's going to go from there. But I want you to be praying that they would all be able to see this through God's perspective. And if somebody knows they need to give their life to Christ, man, and they know the times there that they would do that. If somebody needs to share the gospel over there with somebody, that they would do that. If somebody over there needs to hunker down and they need to put shutters up and whatever they got to do, they would see it from God's perspective. So let's pray if we would for those folks. Father, we didn't create the storm. And in fact, we're awed. I love watching these hurricanes and... Uh, I love watching them on TV and on the internet way better than in person. 
But I got to admit, the ones that I have been privileged to be able to see have done nothing but shown me how awesome and magnificent and powerful you are. Just the fact that that's how you cool the ocean off is, is by being able to create these storms, these giant fans that just suck up all the hot air so we don't explode. What an awesome thing that you've created. But Father, we know nothing happens on accident. Nothing happens unless you allow it. And that's why it's so important that we, as believers, help each other see life from your perspective. And Father, I know there's believers there. Father, we don't want to see anyone get hurt. But Father, if there's a choice between somebody having a tragedy in this life and it brings them to Christ so they can have freedom and joy and salvation for eternity, then bring on the tragedy here. Because you tell us in Romans that the sufferings of this life are nothing compared to the glory we'll experience one day in heaven. If you want to use this tribulation to bring people to Christ, then Father, please do it. If you want to use this tribulation to motivate this body of believers or the body of believers in places that aren't hurt, Father, to go and show their brothers and sisters their, their love of Christ, man, then so be it. Father, whatever you want, we know is what's going to happen. We just need to see it from your perspective. <clears throat> but most importantly, right now, because my brothers and sisters in, in, in Jamaica that I love, I know people, I know churches worshiping right now. <clears throat> I, I can picture being in those churches preaching right now. The Father, they're right there and they're going to be in the heart. Father, I know what Port-au-Prince looks like. I can picture preaching right there, right now, being there. And knowing what they're going through, knowing what they're, maybe most of them don't even know, but knowing what it's going to be like tomorrow, and even starting tonight. And Father, I pray that supernaturally, whatever they need to do, you would give them the wisdom to do it. And they would be able to see it all from your perspective. But I pray, Father, through all of it, whatever happens, it would bring you great glory. I pray there would be supernatural stories coming out of this storm that would show people how awesome you are, Father, and you would receive all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. Father, it's just kind of funny how America and our news system, how they hate you. But when storms and tragedies come, we start hearing a lot about you. Father, I pray that whatever happens in this, the world would know and learn how awesome you are and you would receive the glory and people would come to know you eternally. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I got contacts. I got personal things going on right there in those areas, man. And um, it, it could, it's, uh, so just keep praying for them. And, and keep an eye on things, again, even if the newscasters say tonight, oh, we're out of the cone. Guess what? Tomorrow we'd be back in it, man. That's the way it all works. Just keep an eye on it, man, because it's a big storm. All right. Hey, so let's do this, kids, 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 stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. On your mark, who, who's going with the kids today? Who do we got going with the kids back there? All right, Tina, are you ready? On your mark, you set, go! All right, everybody hold your balloon up real quick. Everybody hold that balloon up real quick, man. Poster children, preach. All right, hold it up and, and say that with me. Poster children, preach. And now here's a little extra for you. Whatever you're full of is what comes out. All right? How many of y'all agree with that? 
All right, so poster children, what? Preach. Preach. And whatever you're full of is? What comes out. What comes out. Every one of you are preachers, man. Every one of you preach some way, somehow, yes. about something. You don't believe that. Start, like, stalking all the Facebook pages in here. Y'all preach, man, whether it's in private or it's in public. But we all have soapboxes. We all have something that we want to let out. And so with this balloon right here, obviously you don't have to necessarily blow it up, but this is the best they had at CVS. But whatever is in here, all right, here you go. You want to smell this? I didn't brush my teeth. No, I'm just joking. It's like whatever I put in here is what is coming out. And it's the same way in our lives. Whatever is in our life, whatever is dominating our thoughts, whatever's dominating our heart, that is what we are going to preach about. Hey, the other night, man, Jack changed his profile picture. Anybody see that? Anybody see that? Jesse, did you see his profile picture? You didn't? Oh, my goodness. Am I the only one to see it? What was on that profile? What were you preaching, man? Forty inch snook is what he was preaching, brother. I saw it at three in the morning, man. Yeah. He's like, I just caught this in the And he's got a picture of this giant snook, and I hope FWC saw you put it back in too, right? Alright, but so whatever is in our heart, whatever's in our minds, whatever's in our passion, that's what we post. You know, instead of calling it preaching, we should call it posting in this day and age, right? But you can do it on Instagram, Facebook, but you can do it personally, face to face. So we started the book of Acts a while ago, and I think this is our fourth message. The very first one, which is the premise of all of it, it says that God has given us power to become what? Poster children. Here, there, and everywhere. In other words, the power he gives us is to get through whatever circumstance situation he has ordained in a spiritual way so that when we're through it, people can see God's grace in our lives and they see his power. That includes if we get a Cat 4 or 5 hurricane this week coming through here, that power is just as effective with that as if God calls us to pick it up and jump on MFI's plane and go to Haiti and help them clean up and show them the love of Christ. Whatever it is, God has given us power. <laughs> he's going to give us power to be his poster children, to do whatever it is he's called us to do. We saw right away that poster children, they have peace because they pray and they pursue God's plan. They're not after their own plan. They're not after their own desires, but poster children have peace because they're pursuing God's plan. And they find that out through prayer. So they're constantly praying. Then we learn in the third week of this, we learned that. God gives poster children gifts. He gives us gifts. And we had an example of a gift that they got that was necessary to do the ministry he was calling them to do at that point in time. But what we know is that God gives us whatever gift we need to bring him glory. Whatever he's calling us to do, he will give you that gift. If he does call a bunch of us to Haiti and says, guys, I want you to go clean up, he'll get, and you say, but I can't fly. He'll give you the gift to be able to fly. Maybe not this way, but this way, you know, you, maybe he'll give you the gift as we are there. And at the very end, they're offering you some goat head soup and you're seeing the squiggly things and you can't find me to pass those to you, to, those to me. Like most Americans do, because dude, those squiggly things are good. It's brain, by the way. But anyways, but I'm saying maybe you're there, maybe you're ministering in love and they're giving you something that they can't even afford to have themselves. And out of love and appreciation, you need to eat that and down that. How many of y'all say God would definitely have to give me some grace there? Yeah. 
But whatever gift you need to do what he's calling you to do, he will give you that gift to bring him glory. I guarantee you he will be able to do that. But now we come into the part where you remember they got this gift. They were all speaking in, in different languages that they didn't know. And we had a whole list of 15 different regions and areas where they were speaking in that language. And all the people were like, wow, we're hearing this in our own language. We're hearing this in this. They heard like rushing wind. <coughs> didn't see the wind, but they heard the wind. And there were like tongues of fire, all kinds of stuff going on in there. And some people were like, what is this? And it was, they knew it was of God. But other people, do you remember how it was at the end, the critics? What did they say? These folks are drunk. drunk. <laughs> yeah. A bunch of people looked at it and said, these folks are just drunk. So Peter now gets up and he preaches his first message since he let God down before. Do you remember that? You remember when Jesus was being beaten and crucified and, and, and all of that? And Peter denied him three times. And the last time he denied him, I don't know him. He looked up and he saw Jesus' beaten body and face walking by, making eye contact with him. And then you remember Jesus saying, Peter, I'm not done with you yet. And now Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, is a lot different than the Peter full of himself. And I'm going to tell you what, you too, Natalie, the, the Natalie full of the Holy Spirit is way different than the Natalie full of yourself. The Eddie that's full of the Holy Spirit is way different than the Eddie full of myself. That's why we've got to be full of the Holy Spirit. Because post your children what? Freeze. And whatever you're full of, that's what? That's what comes out. So man, fill yourself with the Holy Spirit by walking in the Spirit, by being in the Word, by praying, keeping your mind focused on Him. So Peter now gets up. And he's going to preach. Now, here, I'm going to tell you everything they taught me in my homiletics class about preaching. Homiletics is a preaching class, all right? Uh, there's three components to a message that you would preach, okay? The first thing is you need to give an explanation. Everybody say explanation. explanation. Good, you got that. I just want you to remember this. The next thing you need to do is give an illustration. Say illustration. illustration. And then the next thing is an application. Okay, so you got it. So what's the first one? Explanation. Illustration, application. You got that, Kathy? What are the three now? Explanation, illustration, application. Nice. That is awesome. Three, what are they? Explanation, illustration, application. How many of you are hoping I don't call on you? <laughs> All right, you got it. Explanation, illustration, application. That's how you preach a message right there. The explanation is if you're, if you're preaching a passage of scripture, the explanation is what that scripture is about. But what if all you did was give an explanation, 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 explanation? Uh, people probably aren't going to remember it. They're going to maybe understand it, but they're going to be bored out of their mind and they're going to forget what you did the minute you leave, okay? But what people remember more often than anything else is in, what's the second one? An illustration. One day later, you're going to find this balloon or your wife or somebody will find it in the wash. And what's this about? Oh, yeah. Post your children. What is that? Preach. Preach. And whatever you're full of, that's what comes. There's the illustration for the explanation. So you have an explanation. You have an illustration. But what if that's all you have? You know what? That's like having deodorant and never putting it on. <laughs> I'm just serious. You have 55-gallon drum of the junk, but if you never put it on, you're going to stink, right? That's like having a buffet and never picking up a fork to eat anything off of it. You need the last part. What it's all about is the application. 
But if I just went to EJ and said, EJ, you need to preach the gospel. God, you need to do this. He's like, well, who are you to tell me? Well, the fact is, is here's the word. Here's the explanation. Here's the illustration. And this is by God's design that you do this. So here's the application for you. So we got, help me out with these three again. You got to go well, preach this message right away because poster children, what? Preach. preach. Whatever you put comes, is in is what? Comes, comes out. out. And the three parts of preaching are one, the? And the? Dude, you guys are awesome. <laughs> All right, so let's watch this in what Peter preaches, okay? okay. So the explanation, what has he got to explain? Everybody said, you guys are? Drunk. Drunk. You guys, and, it, and, and so Peter is going to explain to him, we are not drunk. Now, I'm not saying, yeah, never mind. I'm not even going there. Peter is trying to explain. Peter is not drunk, all right? And they're explaining. He's going to explain we are drunk. Look how easy it is. It says, but Peter standing up with the 11. So all the 12 apostles, they all stand up now. That's a world of difference than what he was doing before when he was hiding from a little servant girl. You want to him? No, I'm not. He's terrified of a little servant girl. Now the city is packed full of belief, full of people. Jews. All right, who was blowing their balloon out? No. <laughs> the city is packed full of people. And you're like, how many of you are saying that if you had to stand up in front of millions of people, you just couldn't do it? I, you know you couldn't do it, but if you were filled with the Holy Spirit, you'd be surprised. Some of you are like, I can't share the gospel. I'm too shy. I'm an introvert. I'm this. Man, you're right. You can't. But when God's power comes upon you and you start speaking, especially as an introvert, oh, my goodness, how powerful is that? People like me that talk all the time, you know how to tune me out, right? Some of you, how many of y'all are going to be tuned out already? You know what I'm saying? People who speak, uh, no, that was like growing up. My mom, she talked all the time. That's where I get it from. And my sister and my brother and my other sister and I, we talked all the time. And at our dinner table, it was like, rah, rah, rah. And then my dad, guess what? He never talked. Probably because he didn't get a word in edgewise. But when my dad spoke up, all of us shut up. <laughs> When my dad spoke, we're like, oh, he's saying something. Because we knew. <laughs> we knew that when my dad said something, dude, he didn't just open his mouth for any reason like us. And, you know, he didn't just do that. He spoke. So you guys are introverted, man. You're right. You can't do it. But when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you can't help but do it. Because whatever you put in is what comes out. Comes out. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. God's going to give you an opportunity to let this out. And it may be in front of thousands, but it more than likely may be in front of one or two that you meet in line at Walmart <laughs> or Target if you're too proud to go to Walmart. <laughs> and you're not afraid of Target's bathrooms. We're not going to go there. All right. So I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. All right. But look at this. Peter standing up with the 11. Look at that. He raised his voice. Now, that wasn't unusual for Peter because Peter wanted to talk louder than everybody's make sure everybody heard him. But he raised his voice. He wasn't timid. He wasn't meek. He wasn't shy in this. He had something to say. And he said to them, men of Judea, that's the people who lived in Jerusalem. And then he said to all that dwell in Jerusalem, those are all the people who were here for the feast in Jerusalem that lived all around. And by the way, he wasn't speaking in tongues anymore. He's speaking to Jews, a Jewish audience in a Jewish voice, probably Aramaic, which was a common language, and during a Jewish holiday. In fact, it's not till Acts chapter 10 that we actually start seeing the gospel going out to the Gentiles 
Up until that point, the gospel's first going to the Jews. And so here he's speaking to all the Jews, and all of a sudden he's speaking in their language. And by the way, he's doing that to prove he's not drunk. <laughs> you know, before he was speaking all, they were saying all this stuff, and they're like, you're drunk. He's like, oh, no, I'm not. And he starts speaking in a very nice, common, plain language vernacular that they can understand. Like, ooh, I guess he's not drunk. And so he says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. It gets ready. Like, it sounds like he's going to preach this big old message at first, right? But look what he says. For these are not drunk. <laughs> That's all he's saying. Officer, I'm not drunk. <laughs> he's saying to these guys, we're not drunk. That's the explanation. We're not drunk. Since it's only the third hour of the day. <laughs> you know what third hour of the day was? It was 9 o'clock. Now, you may know people who get high or drunk by the third hour of the day, but the Jews in that time, they didn't, they used the first three hours of the day for uh, prayer and fasting, and they, they would end their fast. You know what, what was called, what was the meal that would be the end of the fast? What's the word we use for that morning meal? Breakfast. Break oh, breakfast. That's it. And it didn't happen until about nine o'clock. Most people didn't have breakfast or breakfast and that, that's not our word, not a Jewish word, by the way. But they didn't have that until about 9 o'clock. So that's what he's saying, guys. It's not even 9 o'clock. We're not drunk, all right? No self-respecting person. Nobody there is going to be drunk before that time. Now, he's not saying it's okay to get drunk after 9. Just let me clear that up. That's not the point here. He's saying his explanation is we are not drunk. And so now he's going to give them an illustration. But his illustration comes from Scripture. Now, he's not saying what is said in Joel is now being fully fulfilled right here. He, what he's saying, guys, he's, guys, there's something supernatural going on. There's something happening that has never happened before. You guys are Old Testament Bible scholars. You remember the story in Joel? You remember when Joel was talking about this? Which, by the way, most all of Joel is talking about judgment on Israel. And chapter 2 in Joel, if you want to read it later, is talking about the millennial kingdom, which the Jews have been waiting on. He says, you know, remember when all this stuff happens in the millennial kingdom and it's supernatural and the Holy Spirit is doing all this? That's what this is like. That's what this is. It's the beginning of it. It's a little teeny taste of it. Hey, guys, has there ever been a time where you know you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit was doing things in you and, and, and you just knew it was the Holy Spirit? Did you know that is just a taste of heaven? That's what the New Testament teaches is the Holy Spirit. When you know he's there, when, when the Holy Spirit's power is working and you know it's not you, he said that is like a down payment, an earnest payment on what we're getting ready to have. If you're getting ready to buy a house or whatever, you make a down payment, right? Okay, so it's just the down payment. The Holy Spirit in us while we're on this earth with a nature that wants to sin and a nature that wants to please him. When we're walking in the spirit, it's a down payment. It's like a little taste of what we're going to have for eternity. Can you imagine being fully filled with the spirit and no desire to satisfy the flesh forever? Anybody want to say, <laughs> oh, I'm never going to get in trouble again. <laughs> I won't have the ability, the desire, anything in that. So Peter goes on. His explanation is, guys, we're not drunk. It's too early for us to be drunk. And he says, <coughs> he says in this, in verse 16, he says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, He's not saying what's going on is what's being spoken about. He said, but this, I'm going to tell you what Joel the prophet spoke. And I want you to know this is a taste of it. And, it, and this is what Joel chapter 2, you can go ahead and read it. 
And it's talking about the millennial kingdom, and I'll explain that in a minute. It says, and it shall come to pass in the last days. Says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Young men, and don't go any further than that, shall see visions. Your old men shall see dreams. And we're going to keep finishing it. But I want to start at the very beginning. He says, and it shall come to pass in the last days. Do you know that when Peter spoke this, the last days began? Do you know the last days, the last time period in God's history began at Pentecost? We are in the last days. That was over 2,000 years ago, saying that's a long day. Well, that's why Peter said a day is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is like a day to God. God doesn't have a Casio Rolex. He doesn't have a Timex. God has his own calendar. It's, it's his story. It's his timing. And so we are in the last days. This is the last time period right here. And so here's what's going to happen. He said during these last days, what's going to happen is his spirit is now going to live in people. Instead of his spirit being dropped. You guys remember eyedroppers, little eyedroppers, you know what I'm saying? A little drop at a time. In the Old Testament, there was a, a, a dropper full of the Holy Spirit. And Robert's now called to do a job as a prophet. Doop, a little drop. Do the job. And he does the job and it wears off. If you're Elijah, man, boom, boom, boom. You're getting lots of drops. All right? That's the way the Holy Spirit worked, but he said, no, what's going to happen now, dude, is the Holy Spirit's a bucket and we are going to, the Spirit will be poured on you. In these last days, the Holy Spirit will be poured upon us, not a drop at a time, but everyone who gives their life to Christ will have the opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When we give our life to Christ, we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're baptized into his body. We belong to his body, but... As we surrender to him, we are filled, and that means my body belongs to him. You get the difference? Baptism is when I belong to his body now. Once you give your life to Christ, you're part of that body. You have all the Holy Spirit you'll ever have. But with each filling, as you go to serve him and you worship him and your life becomes focused on him, he gets more and more of you. And you have more and more different manifestations to be able to do what he's calling you to do in all of that. And so he says, in these last days, this is going to be one of the differences. This is what's happening. So guess what? When the last person is saved, who we've witnessed to, what is the next great event on God's spiritual calendar? Anybody tell me, man? Rapture. I believe, I believe, I believe in my whole heart and soul, it's the rapture. It talks about it in Thessalonians where, man, we're going to be like, like paper clips. We're going to be like metal. And, and, and there's going to be people who go to church that look like tinfoil and they look like metal, but they're not really metal. And the Holy Spirit's going to be Jesus can be like a magnet. And when you pull that magnet over top of the tin and it's over top of the metal, what gets caught up? The real metal and the people who have the Holy Spirit living in them. I didn't say the people who go to church. But the people who have given their life to Christ, who have had a central focus, their life was all about Christ. When they gave that life to Christ, they have the Holy Spirit. And so he pulls them up with the shout of an archangel. Everybody blink your eye real quick. Blink your eye. Because some of you might be saying, oh, I'm going to wait till I see this happen. And then I'm going to give my life to Christ. No, dude, it's in the twinkling of an eye. It's going down, man. And we're going to be caught up together with all the believers and with Christ. And we're going up to heaven for a seven-year party. And you know what that seven-year party is? That's our wedding. Is there any greater feast than a wedding, man? I mean, on that day you get married. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're going to have a seven-year wedding feast. We're the bride. He's the groom. And for seven years, we're going to have a wedding with him. But while we're here, 
uh, while we are up in heaven with that seven-year feast, the world is going to be going through the worst time it has ever gone through. And it's called the tribulation period. Some places it's called the great tribulation period. And if you want to read about it, start in Revelation 6 and go all the way to 19. And I dare you, by the time you get to 19, you're going to be so blown away by all the ways God throws wrath and judges people for rejecting Christ. In this age of grace where it's so free, where right now you could so give your life to Christ. But if you don't, during that tribulation period, it is the worst time the world has ever seen. And I'm not going to go into all that's going on in that tribulation period because you can read about it. Start in Revelation chapter 6 and you'll just see it. Boom, 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 boom. And so in these last days, man, God started by giving his people his spirit. So that they could become, have power to become his what? Help me out. His poster children. They're supposed to be looking at our lives. They're supposed to be watching how we handle things. And we say, it's not me. It's God's power and supernatural things. I mean, things are going down that everybody should be ticked off about. But instead, man, it's like, cool. Can't wait to see what God's going to do with it. And, and you're walking through it. And people say, man, I need that peace. I need that love. I need that joy. I need that self-control. I need that meekness. I need those. Because we're supposed to be his poster children. And then by the time the rapture happens, there's so many that are now part of the bride that go up there with him. Now, at the end of that seven years, what's going to happen is there's going to be people saved on earth that are going to give their life to Christ. There's going to be prophets. There's going to be people. There's going to be 144,000 Jewish evangelists. There's going to be all kinds of things going on all during that time. It's a primarily a time for the Jews to suffer and come to a point where they now will have their eyes open and they will now recognize Jesus as their Messiah. It's for their salvation. If they're not already saved prior to that. That's what it's for. But there will be Gentiles saved. But I'll guarantee you what the Bible teaches. If you give your life to Christ during that time period, instead of a bunch of believers saying, yeah, and taking you to get baptized and everybody clapping, you're martyred. You're killed. You're tortured. You're set as an example. And there will be people that will do that. In fact, as they get saved and they go up to heaven, they're under the altar, the Bible says in Revelation 6. And it says they're crying out, how long are you going to let this injustice go? And God says, when it's time. Until it's time. But at the end of that seven years, what happens is he comes back. And you know what? We come back with him as believers. We come back. And it's not that we're fighting in an army. We're coming back as his, like, you know, he's the one. Uh, you know, here, here you are. Aaron, stand up real quick. So for a second, you know, Aaron, Aaron, like, I got this big gang all coming up at me, you know. And, and here I am. Yeah, go get him. You go get him. You know, <laughs> Jesus is the big dude. All right. Jesus is the big dude, and here we are as believers. We're behind him. And Jesus is now going to cleanse the earth of all unrighteousness. He's going to cleanse it. He's going he's to bind Satan for a thousand years, throw him into the bottomless pit. He's going to chain him up for a thousand years. All the people who were unrighteous, who never accepted what Christ did on the cross during even that time, they're going to be sent to hell. Not the final judge. They're going to be sent to hell at that point. And anybody who is a believer at that point that's left, they now get to start what is called the millennial kingdom. This is what the Jews were waiting for. They thought Jesus, when he came the first time, he was going to do this. He was going to start a kingdom. This is where in Isaiah it says, and the lion lays down with the lamb. And we have peace and everybody gets along. Because during this millennial kingdom, millennial means a thousand years, there's going to be a thousand year reign 
with Christ on the throne. And we are going to be there ruling with him. We'll have glorified bodies. I won't have this bad boy. We're going to have glorified bodies. Man, isn't that going to be awesome? Man, glorified bodies walk through walls, trans go, go from place to place, man. I'll finally understand quantum physics in a real way, you know? I mean, it's all going down. I'm thinking, since I'm going to get to help rule, I've shared this with you before, that I'm hoping that Natalie and Ashley and Emma, man, we get to rule surf breaks. Jack gets to, like, be the fishing game warden and get all the big snook, right, and deer and all that. You know, what I'm, what I'm saying is, is that we're going to help him rule under his command, but he's going to be on the throne. He's going to be physically here on the throne on this earth, ruling for a thousand years. But the people who are born as humans, with the devil not even here, the devil's gone, he's chained, gone for a thousand years. All it's going to be is humans now with a human sinful nature to please themselves instead of God. They're going to have babies, they're going to have babies, they're going to have babies. And eventually, at the end of that thousand years, those babies are going to reject Christ, who's even physically, visibly sitting on that throne. And, the and God's going to release the devil. He's going to unloose him. The devil's going to get all the people who do not follow Christ to come together and try to have a revolt against God. Yeah, that's, that's what God says. He's going to try to motivate. And, and believe it or not, they're all going to think they're big and powerful enough to do this. And they're going to surround us as believers. They're going to surround the throne of Christ. And they're going to come after him. And then the bottom line is an angel is going to come and just wipe it all out. And then we now get to experience the final hell, the final heaven, and all of that. But this millennial kingdom is a thousand years where everything is just about perfect. It starts out perfect. We'll have glorified bodies. He'll be there. It's going to be awesome. Dude, you can eat donuts and not get fat, man. It's awesome. <laughs> It's awesome. So that's what this prophecy is really about. In, the, in context, in Joel, he's talking about that thousand years. But then he goes back a little bit and he talks about the tribulation period. I went through that whole time frame so you can kind of see the illustration Peter's throwing at him. Because the Jewish believers would have been familiar, but they thought it was going to happen the first time Jesus came. So he says, it, it shall come to pass in the last days. Did you know we're in the last days? Granted, it started a couple thousand years ago. Do you know when it's going to end? No, but I hope tomorrow. I hope today because I'm going to heaven, man. I'm waiting for that marriage to happen. I'm waiting for the wedding. I don't want to be bridezilla waiting, you know? I'm waiting for the wedding, and it's coming. And he says, on those last days, I'm going to pour out, not little eyedropper drops. I'm going to pour out my spirit on how much? Oh. All flesh. That's why I know it's not talking about today because what it's going to be on, he said, everybody in this millennial kingdom is going to be filled fully with the Spirit. All flesh will have the Spirit of God on them. And that's not true of today. It's only those who have given their life to Christ. So during this time, can you imagine? Everybody you come in contact is full of the Spirit, no flesh. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? And he says, then your sons, your daughters are going to prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will see dreams. Ethan, next screen, please. And on... Uh, on my men servants and on my maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. In other words, that prophecy, it's not predicting the future. What it's doing is speaking on God's behalf. It's speaking, it's speaking knowledge and speaking things on God's behalf. Right now, what we have is we have his word, which is our final authority. And anything somebody ever tells you that God said and it's not according to his word, they are lying. It's straight out of the pit of hell. The Bible is our final authority right now. 
in all of that. But in this day and age, everybody will be filled with the Spirit. Everybody will be speaking on God's behalf in that. He said, I will show, now he starts talking more about even this tribulation period. And here he said, I'll show wonders in heaven above, the signs on earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Keep going, Ethan. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. That's when he comes at the end of that tribulation period to clean everything up. And then he comes again at the end of the millennial kingdom to make the final judgment. You go read Revelation 6 through 19, man, and you can see it's all clear right there. If you really want to see it. But that's where he's talking about, man. And so here people are listening. They're saying, oh, my goodness, the moon's going to be turned to blood. There's going to be earthquakes worldwide. There's going to be... When you listen to the trip, read about the tribulation period. And you read about the judgments during that time, you know, real super quick. It starts off with the Antichrist, a white horse, someone coming in after the Christians are gone and saying, man, I'm here to save the day. And everybody gullibly buys into this guy. And it says he wins the confidence of the world without even firing a single shot. He's got a bow, but no arrow. He doesn't even need an arrow. Everybody buys into him. But next what happens, he said, a red horse, there's worldwide, I mean, not a, uh, uh, there's a black horse, worldwide famine. And then there's worldwide war. And it's worldwide destruction. There's going to be worldwide pestilence. We've been protected in America. This is tough. When you read about it, it's worldwide devastation. And so these people are hearing about this. And you know what they're saying now? They're saying, what can we do to escape it? If you know that's your future that you're going to be part of this worldwide destruction. What can I do to escape it? So we've got the explanation. We're not drunk. The illustration, this is something supernatural happening, which is Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. And it's like this with Joel. It's just the very beginning. It's the taste of it. There's way more to come. But if you don't have it, there's a lot of destruction coming. And so the application is, if you want to escape this, this is what you do. So look at the application in verse 21. And it shall come to pass, and this is where we're at right now, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You want to lead somebody to Christ, you remember that verse 21 right there. Look what it says. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The gospel is simple as that. Hey, let me ask you a question. Who's a whoever? Raise your hand if you're a whoever. Anybody a whoever? Okay. Anybody who is a whoever. Whoever has the desire. Now, you can't give your life to Christ unless he's given you the desire. If, you know, if I were to say, hey, how many of y'all would like some goat head soup? <laughs> how many of y'all would raise your hand right now? Uh, any adventurous people? Come on. Yeah, you try it. All right, but how many of you say, no way? No goat head soup for me. Let me see your hands. All right, no goat head soup for me. But what if God gave you the desire to have goat head soup? Yeah, dude, what if he gave you the desire to have goat head soup? If he gave you that desire, you would want nothing more. Do you know that's how salvation came to you? When you came into this world, you were selfish and all you cared about was yourself. And the only thing you cared about with God was some deal so that he didn't strike you with a lightning bolt or things would go well with you. You didn't want to worship him and love him until he gave you a desire to give up your selfish life and accept him and let him be the boss. No human has that desire. That's why when the disciples said, who can be saved? He said, huh. he said, with man, it's impossible. With God, anything is possible. God has to give you the desire for something in that. So whoever has the desire to give their life to Christ, realize that desire came from him. And so look what he says in the next part. So, so whoever... 
Whoever, whoever, that's anybody that has the desire. And what's the next word? Call. Calls. Hey, Angela, how do you call on God? You got a minute? Wait a minute, hang on, hang on. Great. Here you go. Take here, can you call God? Find him on my speed dial. No. I mean, don't, shouldn't you have God in your speed dial, right? Okay. How about, all right, you know what? All right, God's far away, and if we have Wi-Fi, God, I can get him on that WhatsApp thing, right? Because <laughs> he's far away. I don't want the long-distance charges, right? Uh, maybe God joined our app, and we can communicate through our app with him. How do you call on God? Terry, how do you call on God? You, you pray. Exactly. How many of y'all agree? You call on God by praying. You know what? People who don't know Christ know that. I've asked people all over the world, how do you call on God? And they say, you pray. Everybody knows you pray. So whoever has a desire to give their life to Christ, if they will, what's the next word? Pray. If they'll pray. On the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Now, here's the kicker. You know what this word Lord means? Do you remember in medieval times? Oh, my lady, my Lord. What did Lord mean? Do you remember, Tom? Like, my Lord. That was God. the boss, yeah. The guy who actually owned the castle. That you were lucky enough because if you weren't in that castle, you were wandering around and you were like meat on a shark hook, you know, in that feudal system. My Lord was like, you. it was not a democracy. It was not a republic. The Lord was the Lord. He was the ultimate boss. And you were lucky enough to be in his system. <coughs> That's what that Lord means. It means boss. So if you have a desire to pray, and ask him to be your boss? He said, you'll be saved. But now you got to know what he stands for. you got to know something about this boss because you can't just have your own opinion of this boss. you got to know a little bit about this boss. And that's what this name of the Lord means, the name. You know what? When I think of Steve, I, when I hear about Steve, I, I think of you. I think of everything you stand for. Laura Kerner, man. But your name comes up, everything you stand for. Joyce, same thing. Jack, everything you stand for. When you hear the name of somebody, the name represents everything they stand for. Terry, I got all kinds of things flying through my mind when I hear your name. Bob. And they're good, man. They're awesome, man. Fernanda hadn't talked to me in a while, so no, I'm just messing with you. Fernanda, I have thoughts about you too, so I'm just saying. No, when you, when you see some, when you hear the name of somebody, you know, you don't think of the letters E-T-H-A-N or L-A-U-R-A. What you do when you hear their name is you think of who they are. You think of what they stand for. Dubs, dude. <laughs> There's only one dubs, man. And when I, I mean, when anybody thinks of dubs, dude, it's everything you stand for. It's who you are. And so when it talks about the name of the Lord, it's everything you know about him. And that's who you're willing to make your boss. And you know, the bare minimum of what you got to know is you got to know that he came down from heaven. He lived a perfect life, never once sinned, and he died on a cross to pay for our sins. And if you have the ability to believe that, he gave that to you. And if that's all you know and you surrender to him and say, I don't know much about you, but I'm going to do whatever you say. I am now your servant and you are, I, and you are my master. We talked about in Thursday night Bible study, uh, Thursday night in Exodus, we get to the chapter and what did it say? How to treat your slave. <laughs> That's so politically incorrect in America, but what a beautiful picture of who we are in Christ. And we saw that we're his slave and he's our master. And if you're willing to surrender whatever you know about yourself to all you know about him, man, you can be. What's the last word? 
And, and what's that little, that little punctuation mark after saved? That's important. Awesome. What is it? Period. And what does a period mean? Hey, the end. The end. What, if, what if it was dot, dot, dot? Hey, Carrie, you're a teacher, right? What if it was dot, dot, dot? Alec, what would that mean? Yeah, dude, you got to find out a little bit more. What if it was a comma? You'd be like trying to find another page, semicolon, whatever. You're like, oh, but it's a period. So what does that mean? That's it. That's it. So if you're a whoever, how many of y'all are whoever's? Okay. If you will call, and how many of y'all know how to call you? Pray. And you're willing to surrender yourself. Make him your Lord. Not just tag him on his hell insurance and keep on with your life. You're willing to make him Lord of your life. You make him Lord. And you may not know everything he wants you to do. And I'm glad. How many of you are glad you didn't know everything he was going to have you do when you signed up? Yeah. He's a smart God. He only showed you a little bit. <laughs> but, buddy, he's made it so worth it. And if you're willing to surrender everything you know about yourself to everything you know about him, he says you will be, what's the last word? Saved. So if you're like those people who are saying, what do we do to escape this worldwide earthquake? Do you know that the earth's going to be shaking and islands are going to be moved out of their place? Hey, Penny, what happens when islands get moved out of their place? What happens to the ocean? Yeah, tidal waves, dude. What happens with tidal waves? Bill, I mean, the earth is going to be so messed up. He said, if you want to be saved from that, then call on the name of the Lord. Make him your boss. But even worse than that, and I'm just going to share this and I'll end. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a hospital room with a loved one who's suffering excruciating pain and cancer. Some kind of really just, man, morphine's not even working anymore. But I've been there to share the gospel with that loved one so many times. And they're telling me I don't need Christ. I just don't believe in that. I don't need that. I don't need that. I'm going to get through somehow. I'll figure it out. I'll work it out. And I have been with them from when they got it to the day that is there on their deathbed in the hospital. And their excruciating pain and morphine's not even working. And you see the gruesome pain, the grueling pain in their life. And I've been there when they die. And you know what I hear out of the loved ones at that point in time? Well, at least they're not suffering anymore. If what I believe about heaven and what I believe about hell is true, that person is suffering now worse than they have ever suffered in their entire life. And they are going to suffer that way for eternity. I have no ounce of any kind of arrogance that I was right and they were wrong. I got nothing but grief because that person was so close to the gospel. But they were so proud. And they thought they had their own deal cut with God. And I don't have the heart to tell their believing loved ones that they're not suffering and they're suffering worse than they ever have. Man, if there's ever a time we need to share the gospel, it's now. We are in the last days, and that was 2,000 years ago. <laughs> so how close are we to the end now? I don't know, but we're a lot closer than we were 2,000 years ago. But you have this promise from God that if you can share with people whoever calls on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. You don't have to keep them saved. You can't save them. You just share it. You're a, law, a witness, not a lawyer. You share it with them. And it's God that does all the work. Didn't know what he did in your life. He wants to do that in others. Now, 
You're a preacher, right? <laughs> When's the last time you shared this gospel? This is the most important thing that you can be preaching right here. And you preach it in love. You preach it full of the Holy Spirit. That means you have love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, meekness. It doesn't mean you have a baseball bat with thorns sticking out of it. That's not it at all. Because poster children are, help me out, preachers. poster children are preachers. But whatever you're full of, that's what's coming out. You're either full of it or you're full of him. You stay full of him, man. You can't help but let him come out and have a love for people and want to see them come to salvation and spend eternity in heaven with you. You can't help that. That's why you need to be full of him. That's why you need to be in church. That's why you need to be in small group. That's why you need to be in, in the word every day. That's why you need to be in prayer. That's why you need to keep killing your flesh and doing what he wants you to do instead of what you want. That's why you need to realize it's not about this life. We're here for just a teeny bit of time. And then there's eternity. And that's true for everyone.